0: Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Schell, and today I'm lucky enough to be joined by the co-host of the Locked On Cavs podcast, Evan Damrell, to preview what a Knicks-Cavs series might look like, including how Donovan Mitchell has done this year for the Cavs, how he's fit with Darius Garland, and how the Knicks can best attack the Cleveland Cavaliers. All that and more right now on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.
1: And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes right now. Starks. Without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes! Hucks left. And now fires it. And he's good! And he's fouled! And he's out! And he's out! Anthony for three. three. That one goes down! This is all about. Back up off the glass. It's good!
0: You are locked on makes your daily New York City podcast and I want to thank you for making lockdown. Makes your first listen today and every day we are now available on all platforms and that includes on YouTube. So if you aren't seeing our smiling faces on a daily basis, uh, you're missing out. So go check us out on YouTube. Throw us a note, throw us a subscription and hit that notification spell. That's what I'm supposed to say. Um, so you never miss an episode, but who's talking to you? I'm Gavin Shaw. Your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. I'm typically joined by Alex Wolfe, editor-in-chief of the Strickland. Um, But instead today, I have, um, as mentioned in the intro, Evan Damrell of the Locked On Cavaliers podcast. You guys might remember Evan. He's come on in the past. His co-host, Chris Manning, has come on the past. It is always super fun to talk to those guys. And with the Knicks playing the Cavs tonight and uh, with the teams you, you might have heard slated to potentially play in the playoffs, I thought this would be a good time to check in on Cleveland. What's the latest over there? And talk about how the two teams could potentially match up. An important note for this one: uh, we recorded it at about about 2:30 on Wednesday, so this was before the Julius Randall injury. That's why we talk about Randall as if he's healthy. Um, I still think it's totally relevant because uh, maybe maybe I should knock on every piece of wood in my house, but I, I think he will be back uh, for that series um, based on nothing but blind optimism. But but call it a gut instinct. I think I think he'll be back in some form or fashion. For the Cavs series. Um, and without further ado, let's get into things with Evan. All right, guys. As promised, we are joined by the co-host of the Locked on Cavs podcast, Evan Damrell. Evan, uh, thank you so much for coming back on the show. We were talking about a free show, but always fun when, when either you or your co-host, Chris Manning, uh, decides to join the pod. Um, I don't know if you heard this summer. The Knicks, the Knicks are going after some guy who who ended up on Cleveland. He's probably, I don't know, he wasn't, didn't end up being a big piece of the team. So it doesn't, it doesn't really matter. But the storyline that was so big all summer... Might continue because the Knicks and Cavs are kind of on a collision course, um, in that four or five matchup. Um, I just want to start off as big big picture as possible. I mean, what what's the say of the Cavs right now? How are you feeling?
1: I think as Darius Garland would say, uh, the vibes are immaculate. I think
0: heading into wait, the just just course. to be clear, that is also a Jalen Brunson quote. And now I'm kinda of curious who who said it first, because that Jalen Brunson is known is known for saying that. So
1: well, Garland first said it during the preseason, just like, how are the mm-hmm. vibes around the team? And I think it's kind of stuck through. I, Obviously, the Atlanta stinker the other night, notwithstanding. But the Cavs have been playing pretty well. A lot of folks are saying they're peaking. I think that's a little disingenuous just because I think just with how young this roster is and how much there's just room for improvement, whether it's from Garland, Evan Mobley, even Jared Allen, who's showing a little bit of just some juice too, and then obviously the elephant in the room when it comes to just the the common thread between the Knicks and the Cavs is Donovan Mitchell. It's it's absurd to look at how he's had so much mileage on his body up to this point in his NBA career, and how. He has just done so many incredible things, especially in the playoffs of the Jazz. That right now, with Cleveland, is arguably the best season of his NBA career. Like, he should be on the all NBA team. He may not be first or second, or he could be third, but he's somewhere in that mix for the guard spot as well. It's going to be tough, but the Cavs are just doing really, really well at the end of the day. And I think heading into this year, the expectation was playoffs. And when Donovan Mitchell arrived, and after they clinched the playoff berth, he said, I made it very clear to these guys, like, the expectation is we are going to make the playoffs. But now that they're there they kind of need to prove they belong a little bit in the grand scheme of the eastern conference i think the knicks kind of have the same not a similar issue just because they have more playoff experience in cleveland but they want to prove that they belong in the eastern conference at the end of the day with the the bostons the milwaukee's depending on how you feel the philadelphia 76ers of the world just be like that upper echelon of saying like hey We're not here just to make the playoffs. We're here to make some noise, maybe win the conference title and represent the East in the NBA finals. And I'm not saying Cleveland or it depends on how you feel about New York are going to be there this season just because Boston and Milwaukee are really freaking good this year. But they're both in a really good space right now. And I'm going to pass the rock back to you. Like what's the current state of the Knicks right now? Because they, I was in New York for when the Cavs were playing Brooklyn and obviously it's a Knicks town in New York, but I couldn't get quite a finger on the pulse of how things were going in the state of the team because they lost to the wolves when I was there. And like, that was kind of a frustrating loss. I'd say if you're just a Knicks fan and then they suffered another ugly loss, I believe to the Orlando Yeah, yeah. to Orlando as well when I was in town too. So like, it's hard to get a full scope of things just based on a, a one week in New York city. So I want to know like the full scope of things, like how, how are things going for the Knicks right now?
0: Yeah. So I mean, they were before that, they were really, really good, right? They had, what was it, the, the nine-game winning streak after getting Josh Hart. And, and in that stretch, um, the back-to-back wins over the Celtics and the Heat were uh, a high point that um, certainly they haven't hit since I've been covering the team. You'd have to go back to the 12-13 season, particularly the start of that year, where I think people were talking about the Knicks as legitimate NBA title contenders as, as kind of the primary challengers to the, uh, the super team Miami Heat um at that time um but i've i can't remember two wins that good like i'm like i'm not even saying like back to back or anything like i just can't remember two wins that good and that they were consecutive and that they involved um emmanuel quickly a guy who has had his his fair share of doubters this year my myself included when he was really struggling at the earlier in the earlier in the season and a lot of us um on the next beat were sort of like all right, ultimately what's, what's the deal with this guy? Is it going to click? Is he, is he going to emerge? Is there going to be any kind of consistency there? Or is he just sort of is who he is, which is like a nice bench player, nothing more. And then you go from that to him ripping off um, 35 points against the Celtics, like a ridiculous defensive performance, like a couple blocks, a couple of steals and basically like not single-handedly because a bunch of guys played well, like particularly Julius Randall in that game. But like he, he was the difference maker against at, at the time, the, the team with the best record in the NBA. So that felt Mm -hmm. monumental. um, And it just felt like they were never going to lose. And then uh, Jalen Brunson gets hurt, um, comes back, gets hurt again, and it's caused some choppiness. And I think my biggest concern at this point is kind of centers around Julius Randle, but really it's sort of team wide. Like how is this team going to handle like playoff pressure and even more so than playoff pressure, playoff game planning, because we saw Mm -hmm. a team like you referenced two years ago when we, when we played the Hawks, um a team that was excellent during the regular season and then then and then this is pretty common with Tom Thibodeau teams they didn't really have another gear because Tibbs pushes every possible lever to get a team to peak during the regular season and then in turn you get to the playoffs and you're like all right we're we're still doing the same thing and other teams are taking it up to even another level and then if you want to go even more specific than that Julius Randle's ability to handle double teams to handle junk defenses and Jalen Brunson's as well, because he's never, I mean, like, I guess like a little bit in that jazz series, but he's never had a full series of defensive game planning against him from a defense, like what the Knicks would see in Cleveland So if I'm, I'm looking at concerns that that's kind of where I'm at, but I, I want to circle back to, to Donovan Mitchell, um, offensively, mm-hmm. like, I mean, at, at least as a scorer, he is unquestionably having a career season. I mean, shooting, uh, far and away, the best. he's, he's never been over 45% from the field. He is just under 48% from the field this season, second highest three-point percentage of his career, second most three-point attempts for his career, career high at the foul line, career high 27.5 points per game, and never been over 26.5 points per game. So that is unquestionable. I, I think when the Knicks were looking at Donovan Mitchell, the, the question marks were, one, one is defense, two, like, can he, like, obviously he can pass the basketball. Can he share the ball? Can he proactively make unselfish plays, particularly with someone like Darius Garland? How, how have those elements kind of clicked for him or, or not clicked for him?
1: So it's surprising to say this, but and I kind of pinch myself sometimes when I am saying it, but Donovan Mitchell has become a two-way player for the Cavs. And mm-hmm. maybe his former Jazz teammates and former coach Quinn Snyder are kicking themselves a little bit. But when Mitchell arrived at Cleveland, he owned up to it. He's like, I was not good in that last playoff series against Dallas. Like Jalen Brunson and Luka Doncic took turns um picking me apart. Like he didn't go that deep. But like he was very cognizant and aware of the fact that like he hasn't been good historically on defense and that this is – a Cavs team that prides itself on its defensive acumen and just takes the defensive first approach and it, it's shown because Cleveland is probably the top defensive team in the NBA. It depends on how you feel about certain squads surrounding them, but they're up there for sure. But a lot of it is Donovan Mitchell buying into what GB Bickerstaff is selling and maybe I do think just in Utah, he was asked to do so much on offense on a night to night basis that having these younger legs, whether it's Darius Garland and he Mitchell has said this, like there's no disrespect to like Ricky Rubio or Mike Conley or even hollow Neto at times. But like Darius Garland's a different breed of player that he's played alongside and being able to kind of take plays off or maybe not always have the ball in his hands or always having be the focal point on. For on offense and then in turn on opposing defenses helps a lot too but then you have monsters like jared allen and evan mobley just working on things on the interior like mitchell has been able to save some gas in his tank to be i wouldn't say an elite two-way player but he is certainly a two-way player at this point like he plays hard on defense he uses his god-given abilities of his wingspan in order to tap into it and i think that was a huge surprise to me and i thought that was going to be the biggest concern heading into this year was one, defensively, like Darius Garland is a very small point guard. Donovan Mitchell is an undersized shooting guard. Neither of them are very adept defenders. They try hard. I mean, clearly, at least now, this year in Cleveland, they try hard. But, like, is that hard enough to kind of make it work? And, like, how are you going to fix that with, like, Isaac Okoro, Evan Mobley, Jared Allen covering etc.? et cetera? But Mitchell has stepped up and kind of not completely mitigated the defensive concerns but at least brushed them to the side where it's not like a glaring issue for this Cavs team and then on the inverse of things on offense that was my other concern is just because Darius Garland has a breakout all-star campaign in his third season and he kind of hit a stratosphere that not many of us were expecting he would but that made you really excited about his long-term potential and you bring in Donovan Mitchell who is a predominantly ball dominant guard who needs the ball in his hands in order to succeed. Sure. There's some off ball usage and success as well that like maybe just mitigates that concern, but it was fair enough. But the, the the fit between him and Garland has been hand in glove and it, it, it's kind of fun to watch it unfold in real time because they're, they're close off the court. And I think that having that familiarity and chemistry off the court made it a little bit easier, but it's more so the fact that both bought in to make sure that the other one succeeded and it's just been kind of crazy like garland is putting up better averages um or he's putting up the same averages as last year but on better like statistical numbers next to mitchell which is kind of crazy to wrap your head around and it's a very solid baseline for those two to build off one another because you look at teams who made like the big splashy moves this last offseason whether it's cleveland with mitchell or atlanta with Dejounte murray or minnesota with rudy gobert like the Cavs are the ones who haven't had a lot of those growing pains that the Hawks and the Wolves have had to deal with. And it's been kind of crazy just to comprehend because everything's just kind of fell into place almost perfectly for Cleveland that you think it's, it's not real, but it is.
0: Yeah. I, I've, I've been impressed with it too. And that was from a Cleveland perspective and, and someone who, hey, I think I say this every time you, you and Chris come on the pod, like I, I, I kind of want the franchise to succeed just because Jared Allen, super likable dude. Darius Garland, now the guy I wanted the Knicks to to take in that draft. Um, I've I've always loved his game, and I've like you, like just been wowed by how quickly it's clicked in the NBA. Like what he did last year is what I was like, all right, maybe 26, 27 years old. If like if everything goes right, that's who he's gonna be. And then he's what I don't know, he was 22, 21 last year, and he's he's already operating at that kind of a level. And the fact that Mitchell's come in and it, and it didn't diminish that is uh, is, is incredible. And I'm, if I'm being honest, I'm a little jealous of it because it gets you wondering about uh, what Donovan Mitchell and, and Jalen Brunson could have been as like a similar type of pairing. Um, but I, I also I, I want to get into Evan Mobley a little bit because I know um, he's a guy that the last few weeks has really been cooking. Um, but First, uh, we we're going to take a quick break, and then when we return, uh, we're going to talk Evan Mobley's hot stretch and how that has changed the ceiling for the Cavs That next on Locked on Knicks. All right, guys, it's that time to remind you that Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is the coolest game I've played in a long time. I've always thought I could be a great NBA GM. As it turns out, it's not all that easy. If you had the same thought and have fantasized about managing your own basketball franchise, go and download Ultimate Pro Basketball GM right now. Guys, this game uh, reminds me of playing NBA Live uh, throughout my youth and uh getting to test out the dynasty mode and that was always my favorite part of the game i love making crazy trades um i love signing free agents but with this game it's it's not impossible but the difficulty level is turned up a little bit there's a great realism to it and you kind of you kind of have to put your money where your mouth is if you've ever criticized uh Leon Rose, if you've ever criticized past Knicks GM, if you've ever criticized me or Alex for our takes on on how we would run the Knicks, uh, this is your time to test it out and prove it because the game allows you to manage every strategic aspect of a franchise, playing through seasons, and leading your team to glory as you build a dynasty. You're responsible for challenging personalities, hiring the right coaches and assistants, training and trading players, and making the right draft picks plus free agency. All that in a challenging and realistic game world. Ultimate Pro Basketball GM is completely free and playable offline. Play on the go as you want and when you want to. Locked on Knicks listeners get a 100% free boost to their franchise when using the promo Locked on in the game store. So make sure to check it out. To download the game, just visit probasketballgm.com. Scan the code or look it up in the app stores. That's probasketballgm.com. Ultimate Basketball GM. Start your dynasty today. All right, guys, we are back. Uh, locked on Knicks, locked on Cavs, locked on crossover. Um, Evan, I wanted, I wanted to pick your brain on uh, mm-hmm. uh, your, your, your namesake, or maybe maybe he's, maybe it's the opposite way around. He was named after you. I don't know. But Evan Mobley, um, he's, he's been cooking oh. post-All-Star break um, an extra three points per game uh, since the All-Star break, averaging another half block per game, more rebounds per game, more assists per game. I mean, wh- wh- what has clicked into place for him? It's so
1: fascinating to watch Evan Mobley function as a player because his rookie season, he was kind of that conduit, the flashpoint that made Cleveland a winning squad. Because as a rookie, he was wholly committed to improving Cleveland on the defensive side of the ball. And he does so many little things, whether it's paint protection, isolation defense, perimeter defense. Like he does everything at once. And he is, as my co host would say, a bit of an alien in terms of just defensive concepts. And then, like, even JB Bickerstaff has said the same thing. Like, when you look at rookies, Like Evan Mobley, like a lot of those guys will come in and say, okay, I want 10, 15 shots a night and I'm going to mess up the offensive flow and not really try on defense because you're chasing stats and you're trying to learn how to grow offensively. Whereas Evan Mobley is like, no, I I don't need that many shots. I'm comfortable averaging 10, 15 points, but I'd rather play stellar defense and have that lead to winning. And it built such a rock solid foundation that it was hard to fathom what he could be this year. But you're starting to see it kind of crystallize as his offensive game catches up. But the defensive component is just incredible. Like, I think about the other day against Brooklyn, he was defending Spencer Dinwiddie in isolation on two separate possessions because the Cavs gave up an offensive rebound because they forced Mobley into isolation. And he more than took the challenge and defended Dinwiddie very well. And then At the same time, after he gave up one offensive rebound, he forced – he shut off Dinwiddie's water and then forced Dinwiddie to get a pass. Mobley just flips right to the paint and defends it like it's nobody's business and defended Nick Claxton very well and forced a Claxton miss. Like, that's so bizarre and just in a good way, like how good he is defensively. Or you think about the other night against the Houston Rockets, and this is credit to his offensive game, and I think maybe how he's just hardwired and committed to winning that – there was a possession against Houston where I believe Ricky Rubio shot the first three-pointer. Evan Mobley grabs the miss. And instead of just going up and attempting a shot in the paint, he kicks it back out to Jetty Osman, who then Jetty Osman misses it. And then he grabs the offensive rebound. He kicks it out to Karis LeVert. Karis LeVert drives to the basket and instead gives it to Mobley. And Mobley gets a dunk because Houston doesn't have good interior defense. But it's just like Mobley is hardwired and he's just so unselfish to a fault at times that maybe it can be frustrating to watch him grow like this. But – his offensive game was pretty raw and unrefined heading into his sophomore season. I think adding Donovan Mitchell mitigated a lot of the pressure that Mobley kind of had to shoulder when it came to the offensive low, just because I love Jared Allen as a person and as a player, but he's a pretty steady Eddie 14 or double double guy. Like, But he's not going to give you like 20 and 20 every night or something like that. Like he can, but it's not going to happen. And dude, we saw last year with the Cavs. Making Darius Garland do way too much is going to burn him out and in turn burn out the rest of this team. So Mobley kind of had to incubate and grow in real time, and now you're seeing a little bit of that offensive growth, whether it's the playmaking and the unselfishness aspect and they can use him as an offensive hub. Um, There's the three-point shooting that he's kind of trying to add to his repertoire. He's bulked up quite a bit, obviously, just because he's playing more of the five, and I think that's the exciting development lately is he's becoming more comfortable playing the five where he kind of Didn't look physically right down there in that position when he's just more comfortable playing the four and maybe having Jared Allen as a little bit of that safety valve at the end of the day but he's been really fun to watch and grow and it's weird to think that Cleveland got the best player from that draft class third overall and again he's on this trajectory where he's entering the playoffs as Cleveland's third best player he could finish as Cleveland's second best player depending on how it goes just because this growth is just so all over the place in a positive direction that heading into next season like cleveland could have evan mobley as their second best player and on path to becoming their best player overall it's just and when you look at the knicks aspect in like a playoffs like i i'm morbidly curious to see how the Cavs defend julius randall and more than anything how do does evan mobley handle julius randall because he does struggle with stretchier bigs at times and i think that is going to be the next assignment for him is figuring out how to defend guys the same size as him that maybe be way more than him, but are able to stretch it from the floor out there.
0: Yeah. I mean, I've, I kind of wonder the same thing because I, I think whenever Alex and I haven't gone super in depth, just because obviously we, we don't, we don't know if that is the um matchup yet, but yeah. Julius like he's, I'm kind of surprised at how well he did, I guess last game specifically, because the first two games he was like in the loss, he, he really wasn't that good. He was five for 13, um, 15 points, nine rebounds, did have seven assists. Um, but that was kind of like, it, it's weird to say this because it's the same season. But when I look back at what he was doing in October and early November, that, that is almost a different human being. Like like something just clicked 15 or so games into the season. And Julius went from a guy who was like, it, it was a continuation of what we saw last year. Like most people were like, all right, just just get this dude out of here. Like clearly, like nothing has changed in a meaningful way to um, he's he's been like deserving of second or, or third team all nba status um since that point despite some blowups, despite some inconsistency some hiccups here and there he has been that good i think i think he's either leading or second in the nba in minutes like like he he has been an absolute rock for this team when he was whatever whatever the opposite of a rock was last season um and and second matchup again between the two teams Cavs were able to hold him pretty well he was seven and 19 and then last game he, he absolutely went off against them it was um 11 to 21 from the field 36 points 13 rebounds, 4 assists, 6 for 7 from the line, 8 for 12 from 3. Um, but but that that 3-point number, I, I think, is one to watch because while he has developed into a very good 3-point shooter, in fact, he's made the second-most threes in team history. This year just passed John Starks for that mark and is closing in on Evan Fournier's record set a year ago. Um, I do not expect him to have a lot of games in the playoffs where he goes 8 for 12 from 3. If he if has won in his series, that would be amazing. Um, but if that is not a part of his game in the playoffs to it, to the extent that he's more like a 35% three points, let's just say an average night is like, I don't know, four for 11 from him from distance. Um, how does that affect his ability to score against the Cavs? Because from a physicality perspective, like he's going to be able to dislodge Jared down. He's going to be able to dislodge Evan Mobley, but they, with, with their length, they might still be able to get a block. And the fact of the matter is, and this is, I, I assume the genius of Cleveland's defense, like there are two of them. So <laughs> you, you dislodge yeah. one. There's another one right there. And unfortunately the Knicks were kind of hoping Isaiah Hartenstein could function as a bit of a stretch five that has not come to fruition. He is uh, he's played great for the Knicks, but he's not a shooter. And I'm curious how effective Julius is going to be in, in in terms of his ability to, to beat, not just one Cavs big, but two if Mitchell Robinson or Hartenstein are stationed around the rim. And that becomes a fairly easy help responsibility, particularly, when Tom Thibodeau now for three years, like I, I don't really expect us to change in the playoffs, has shown no appetite for even experimenting with small ball lineups that may, might make that group a little bit trickier for the Cavs to guard. But ha- how do you feel about that matchup in particular for Cleveland and like how how you think they'll be able to handle Randall?
1: Well, first off, as an aside, as a uh, owner of land on Hart and Dimes Island, it's a, it's a shame mm. he didn't become the shooter he is because the yeah, Isaiah no. Hartenstein experience with um. Cleveland was something to behold, and I'm glad he's doing well for the Knicks. I understand just maybe the trepidations and maybe just not fleshing out what he wants to be, which is a shame. But in terms of the matchup, I I do think and wonder, like, how willing is Tom Thibodeau to be – comfortable being uncomfortable and play if like if you play julius randall at the five and force jared allen to defend him on the perimeter like that's a pretty easy matchup for him or him as in randall at the end of the day because when you look at yeah. how he shoots three-pointers against cleveland the last time they played the knicks he like we had alluded to he went eight for 12 the game before that one of seven the game before that oh of three so he has the ability to become a howitzer from three-point range and he has the propensity to hurt the Cavs clearly like in the most recent matchup. We'll see how Friday's game against Cleveland and New York goes at the end of the day too. Like that could be very fun to watch as well. But I think if you're Cleveland and if Thibodeau sticks to his guns and goes like, let's say, Mitchell Robinson or Isaiah Hartenstein next to Julius Randle, you put Evan Mobley on him and just say, OK, Evan, I think you have grown up enough to show that you are comfortable defending bigger guys. Clearly, you have shown the propensity and ability to defend at the five. But maybe can you defend more in space where you are one of the best, if not the best. I'm going to pull up the stat as we talk here. Isolation defenders in the NBA. And it's weird to think that a seven footer is the best isolation defender in the NBA. But. It's just crazy to watch this matchup unfold. And then it depends on how the Cavs mitigate Randall. And then, on the inverse, you have the Jalen Brunson issue, which, in terms of just free agency, like it makes sense what the Knicks were doing. I think when you look at this roster, Donovan Mitchell is like that last piece to kind of push them over the top, clearly. But Julius Randle's... Sorry, not Julius Randle. Jalen Brunson has been a stud for the Knicks this year, and I think one of the best free agency signings for any team in general just because he's just been so great right away as like that microwave score for the, or the Knicks and also just as a facilitator, just kind of that alpha for them. And then you have the Josh Hart addition, which I love for New York, and then you have... Just in terms of just defensive grindiness and grindiness. And then I think... I. Emmanuel quickly as well like the the Knicks might have just enough perimeter pressure that the Cavs could be overwhelmed at times especially with that lack of playoff experience that it could get Julius Randle some cleaner looks and again if Thibodeau is uncomfortable with being on he's comfortable with being uncomfortable and playing Randle at the five and like doing some smaller stuff like you could really hurt the Cavs in a lot of different ways because the Cavs do really like to play bigger and if you want to beat a team that likes to play bigger, go smaller and force those bigger guys to defend out in space. And more often than not, they're not comfortable
0: doing it. All right, guys, we're going to take one final break. Be back in just a sec with Evan, but first the NCAA tournament is heating up and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. That's because right now FanDuel is giving new customers a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. It's $1,000 back in bonus bets. If your first bet doesn't win, just go to FanDuel.com slash lockdown and sign up today to claim your no sweat first bet. And you can wager on everything from the money line to point spreads to which team will be cutting down the net All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss your shot at a no sweat first bet up to $1,000. When you join FanDuel today, just go to FanDuel.com slash lockdown to sign up, make every moment more with FanDuel. Yeah, I, I think I, I am dubious that Tom Thibodeau is comfortable being uncomfortable because that was like, it took a, Game or two before he even was willing to bench Alfred Payton last time out against the Atlanta Hawks. Maybe maybe it's until the last game of the series. I got it. I think I think I maybe I, I blotted that out in therapy and just and just choose not to think about how many <laughs> playoff games Alfred Payton started for the New York Knicks. Oh boy, um, but yeah, that is I think that is the fear, and and Tibbs is a guy who has really and and rightfully redeemed himself. Um, amongst Knicks fans this year but I, I think the the concern that I keep preaching on this podcast is like is are we falling into the same trap where, where they're a team that that maxes themselves out in the regular season and then doesn't have that next gear in the postseason and then when I look at Cleveland like I hear I hear the inexperience argument and generally like like teams have to take their lumps like like look at what we had with the with um, the Milwaukee Bucks, right? Giannis, what was it? Two, three years in a row, they lost in the first round and then they they got to the second round and then they got to the finals and then um, on and on and on. Um, But Donovan Mitchell, I think mitigates that a bit with his playoff experience, which I think people tend to crap on those jazz teams, but, they got to the second round Uh, Mitchell uh, going as far back as I think, I think his rookie season was, was pretty spectacular as a score in the playoffs. Like if there's one guy, you know, that absolutely translates. It's him. I think Garland from an IQ standpoint, a skill standpoint, I cannot imagine that he's going to play poorly in that series. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm curious, like your thoughts on, on Mobley as, as a spacer, as a guy who shot like what, like 25%, from three this year, only 1.3 attempts per game is obviously those are the shots that teams are going to want the Cavs to take. So that's one fascination. And then the other one is in Isaac Okoro, um, because that was sort of the open question for Cleveland all year, right? Like, like if this is a team with like, let's get grandiose here, finals aspirations, like who is that fifth starter? It's, It's my understanding. You would understand it far better that Okoro started shooting the ball better. He's become more consistent, but do you think the Cavs, um, have actually found a solution at that fifth starter spot?
1: I think they have for now. I think it's they're going to utilize the playoffs. Like the the Cavs are an organization that obviously all NBA teams operate like this. They don't operate within the moment or within the lens of a single playoff series or like two three weeks of play, unless like it's an immediate concern. Like last year when Ricky Rubio tore his ACL and Darius Garland was dealing with back issues, it was clear um, Kevin Pangos just wasn't an NBA caliber point guard, which forced Cleveland to trade for Rajon Rondo, but. When you're talking about the spacing concerns, I think it's real. I think Mobley trying more three-pointers is a good thing. He's been practicing them all year long. He's been working with Luke Walton exclusively on just kind of being like that Swiss Army knife as a bigger player and just becoming more comfortable as a shooter. And I think you're still waiting for that leap Uh, my my co-host and I actually had a pretty at-length conversation about like, do you want him to become more of a three-point shooter or do you want him to have just a tighter handle? Because if Mobley tightens up his handle, you could do a lot more stuff offensively and we're both team handle at this point just because you don't see the three-point shot materializing like this. And maybe... The Knicks, as a defensive strategy, could dare Mobley to shoot those threes because Cleveland does have some spacing issues with Allen and Okoro out there, and you just have Garland and um, Mitchell acting as the shooters in the starting lineup. But to your point, I think just for now, um, the Cavs have found their fifth starter in Isaac Okoro. It's taken a lot of work. It's taken a lot of time. Like, Okoro was a guy who was coming off the bench at first. He drew a lot of do-not-play DNPs and things like that. Um, there was times he was in the rotation. There was times he was starting. There was times just like there's a lot of stuff going around, but like he started to kind of put it all together. And for the Cavs to gel at that fifth banana option, they need a guy who's comfortable not getting a ton of shots some nights, maybe only putting up 8 to 10 points per game, maybe 15 every now and then too. Um, is comfortable enough when teams – or when he gets a three-point opportunity to take it. And you look at that game against Brooklyn, like he hits the game-winning three. That's the biggest shot of his NBA career up to this point. It's the first game winner of his career, technically speaking, as well. But Isaac Acquero, you see more often than not defenses will sag off of him, and you need to see him take advantage of that and make opposing defenses pay for that because it, it can be a point of frustration. You saw it a lot last season. You see it a lot this year. Teams that are smart defensively will probably try to hide their best defender on Isaac Accordo and let them function off ball and just wreak havoc, whether it's in the paint or on the perimeter, through double teams and just creating pressure that way. Boston being the best example of this, where they would take turns hiding Jason Tatum or Jalen Brown off of Okoro and then using that size and just athleticism to wreak havoc against Mitchell or Garland, or last season it was Sexton Mm -hmm. and Garland, but it's just... An interesting formula, but Okoro just needs to keep making opposing defenses pay pass, and do you feel disrespected? He's like, no, not really. He's like, I understand why they do it, but I just got to learn to take advantage of the clean opportunities in front of me. And he shoots it with confidence, but the, there are times he makes them, there are times he doesn't, and... That kind of just clunks up and clogs up the offense a little bit because then there's a lack of perimeter pressure and it gives you less clean looks inside for Jaren Allen and Evan Moley because teams are just going to start walling the Cavs off if Okoro's shots aren't falling. And there's times Mitchell's shot won't go. There's times uh, Garland's shot won't go. And to your point, the playoff pressure, I think Garland's game translates well. I think there is going to be a little bit of some growing pains just because the playoffs are such a different beast. I think having Donovan Mitchell as that safety valve at the end of the day, helps a lot, too, because you've seen it a lot this season where the Cavs just don't have it offensively, and they just give the ball to Donovan and say, okay, we need you to dig us out of this one. He finds a way to do it. Sometimes they win. More often than not, they win, but sometimes there are some losses in that formula, too, but... You don't want that to be your MO heading into the playoffs, so we'll see how it translates. I want to be cautiously optimistic about how it looks, but the spacing stuff is still a real concern, and I don't think the starting three spot will really be addressed until this offseason, because if you're Cleveland, it's remiss not to cash in on what you have in front of you that, like you said, there are some higher aspirations beyond the season of possibly contending for a championship and adding shooting and spacing, especially at the wing position, is going to be the way you go about
0: it. Is there a preference amongst Cavs fans in terms of who you ultimately want to play? Obviously, there's, there's still a, a world, even if it's not exceptionally likely, that uh, you guys go up to the three seed. Only two games back of the Sixers. Um, the Nets, two and a half back of the Knicks. The Heat, three back of the Knicks. In all likelihood, this will be the matchup. But what is, what is sort of the discourse in Cavs Nation of like what, what you guys would prefer the matchup to be?
1: I know for a fact everyone wants to avoid Miami like the plague, because as mm-hmm. Bill Simmons said, they're just zombies, and I think Eric up Bam Adebayo, and Jimmy Butler in a best-of-seven series in your first time in the playoffs does not sound like a fun time if you're the Cavs. Um, like you said, I think it's going to be New York, and I think just for me, as somebody who enjoys basketball quite a bit, I think the off-court intrigue of like, oh, Donovan Mitchell fully expected to be with the Knicks, and so did all of us, and he's with the Cavs, but now he's Taking the Cavs to the playoffs for the first time without LeBron since the 97 98 season uh, against his favorite team growing up and just like hitting his hometown in the garden and everything else. Like, there's a lot of intrigue there. Ideally, I think a lot of fans would like to play Brooklyn. I know there's a lot of theatrics and drama, whether it's Mitchell ending Yuta Yuta Watanabe's career for a second or Isaac Okoro hitting that game winning three pointer. But the Knicks have some legitimate star power in Brunson and Randall. And like, Tom Thibodeau is a very well adjusted coach in terms of just like maximizing the potential of his team. Maybe he doesn't hit that gear, but at least you know that you'll get a full out effort from the Knicks or just any yeah. Tom Thibodeau coach team. So if you're looking at that and just how the Nets have, like I question Jacques Vaughn as the long-term answers, the coach for the Nets. I think Mikhail Bridges has emerged as a star, but the Net- the Nets have just like a collection of role players. And sure, they have a lot of players that can hit pressure points for the Cavs on the perimeter because they have Royce O'Neal, Cam Johnson, Bridges, as I mentioned, Utah Wabanabe as well. Like, they have a lot of dudes. And, like, Nick Claxton on the interior really frustrated Jared Allen and Evan Mobley as of late. But I think the Nets would just, like, be the easiest path. And as you said, maybe Cleveland does jump up to that three seed because at this point I think they're looking to avoid Milwaukee as much as possible if they want to try and get to the conference finals. I think any team logically wants to avoid Milwaukee at this point. But right now, ideally it would be the Nets – uh, you avoid the heat at all costs but I think just the Knicks and the Cavs are on a collision course with one another just because that lost against Atlanta we the might be the difference maker for Cleveland and who knows it could be decided on Friday when Cleveland and New York face each other for the last time this season it could be a little bit of a glimpse of like not a full playoff preview maybe you see some of the most vanilla basketball possible because neither coach wants to show their hand hmm. but maybe we'll see something weird too maybe there'll be a guy who emerges and are like okay this guy could be the difference maker for either team whether it's like let's say it's like Lamar Stevens or Jetty Osman or Karis Levert for the Cavs or in the Knicks case it's like Emmanuel Quickly or it's maybe RJ Barrett kind of gets out of this funk he's been going through lately as well too like I haven't even talked about Barrett like I think he could be a defensive stud against the Cavs at times and just kind of force the other one whether it's Garland or mitchell to do something for them like it's going to be an interesting matchup on friday when these two teams play each other because i don't think it's gonna be a full preview but it could definitely be like okay what is the general vibe surrounding these two squads going in to just this matchup and possibly a future playoff series
0: yeah, I think I think that's a key point. And I, I think we're going to see a lot of the, the Knicks trying to isolate Darius Garland and go Darius Garland and in turn Cleveland trying to get Jalen Brunson on, on Mitchell and Garland and, and try and punish him for that on the other end. And it's going to be kind of both guards cooking each other, the bigs on either right. side scrambling to compensate for it. And, and it's going to come down to like those those thin margins of like which team can kind of like like get their star guard cooking and like hide him on the other end of the floor. But it, it is certain to be, a fascinating series. Um, Evan, before I, I let you go, can you can you tell everyone where they can find all the fantastic work you, you and Chris do at Locked on Cavs?
1: So, yeah, you can see my Twitter handle below. I am one of the voices behind Locked on Cavs. If for some reason you liked hearing me for the last 30-ish minutes or so, you can listen to us five days a week. We are covering all things Cavs, uh, whether it's just the road to the playoffs, the regular season wrap-up, or just kind of looking deeper on maybe some of the players on Cleveland's roster, because there are a lot of fair questions on who is going to be the starting small forward and how does this bench rotation shake out just because it's not the cleanest fit outside of Karis Levert coming off the bench for Cleveland. So there's going to be a lot of conversations, a lot of speculation on how things unfold. And it's a fun time. I think it's fun for both of us to be covering these teams because it's it's just it's exciting to have your team in the playoff hunt instead of just looking at the draft and your sinking your teeth in like listen, Victor Wembanyama is gonna be dynamite for whoever drafts him, but I think I'm just more so enjoying watching Evan Mobley do Evan Mobley things and lead the Cavs to the playoffs.
0: Yeah, I could I could feel like the stress leave my body as you said. Because normally at this point you're like, all right, we gotta do three game recaps, two, two draft podcasts a week, right? I mean that that's that's been the formula for, for us the last few years. I mean, I mean you guys obviously had the breakout last year. We we had the breakout two years ago, but it is nice to be in a state of also, I mean not just Contention, but also sustainability and i got to imagine not not to not to read the conversation with those lebron teams like on one hand like title contenders but also like oh this could this could end whenever lebron decides he wants to go somewhere else so i think i think having the consistency and and having a future to look towards is nice uh for both of us but uh, real quick for those of you listening on the locked on cav side of things uh, i'm gavin shaw you can find us on twitter at locked on nicks my co-host i'm at the alex wolf On Twitter. Um, He also runs a great website called The Strickland uh, that has amazing Knicks coverage. So certainly go check them out. Um, But until next time, uh, for Evan, I'm Gavin. We will talk to you soon, respectively. A Knox locked on Knicks and locked on Cavs. Uh, Peace out.